All right, we are live. Football Life. This is Football Life presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy Hammond, joined by my co-host, Matt Bushnell. All the way out in Arizona today, it is Tuesday, October 6th. Matt, how are you doing today, man? Uh, you know, fighting through it, the work week's here. Too many football games last night, too many football games on Sunday to go over. It is a whirlwind right now, my friend. Yes, it is a busy, busy time for many of us in the world. We hope you can come join us and talk some football with us today. It's an exciting night in the sports world. We got some playoff baseball going on. We got the NBA Finals, my New York Rangers, as I am sporting here, have the number one overall pick in the NHL draft. So a lot going on tonight. Hope you can kick it with us here for a little bit. We're going to talk some week four action. We're going to recap each and every game. We're going to talk about some news that happened yesterday. Big news happened yesterday. Uh, and we're going to talk some TNF as well. Matt, your Bears back in action quickly here later in the week, and we'll get to that. Uh, but first, we're going to start off with Monday Night Football and a Bears arch rival, the Green Bay Packers, taking care of business over the Atlanta Falcons. And I believe our first official audible bet goes to me because you predicted the Falcons would come back and defeat the Green Bay Packers, in which they did not. They would lose 30-16, to 16. Matt. What did you make of this matchup last night? Oh, man, it's just classic Aaron Rodgers torching a beleaguered defense all game. Uh, you know, another wide receiver – or I'm sorry, tight end shows up for the Packers with Devontae Adams out. You know, you just get that feeling that it's the Packers. Um, the NFC looks like you got a lot of quality teams right now. I believe Seattle and um, Green Bay are the only two undefeated teams after this past weekend. In that NFC, it's tightly packed, but the Packers are starting to show that they are the one of the elite teams for 2020. Yeah, and it all comes down to Aaron Rodgers. Um, last year, they were 13-3, and like you said, and they uh, did not have this version of Aaron Rodgers, which makes them that much scarier. Uh, he was 27-33, 327 yards, four touchdowns, zero picks. And the scarier thing is that he did not have Devontae Adams. He did not have Alan Lazard. He had Aaron Jones. And my, my boy, Robert Tanyan, who had a breakout game, six catches for 98 yards and three touchdowns. This is a big man catching passes, Matt. What do you make of uh, Robert Tanyan's breakout party? It, it seems like there's a new guy every week with Rodgers now at this point in his career. You know, a big body tight end that can position himself well against an Atlanta secondary that has no idea what they're doing, no idea where they're supposed to be because they're all practice squad players at this point. So... I'm not going to keep on throwing bouquets at the Packers' feet. Yes, you're good. We know you're good. You make a lot of people better with the greatest quarterback the NFC North may have ever seen. But you know what? At the end of the day, playoff success is what this team gets measured on. Are they are, are they going to win the NFC North? Absolutely. They are going to win the NFC North in a walk. You just might as well give them the NFC North title right now because ain't no one going to beat them. And then, really, it's just playoff time. Can they beat Seattle? Can they beat, you know, Tampa Bay? All these questions are going to come into play, and I'm looking forward to come playoff time. And I do not want to see Aaron Rodgers against the Bears. Don't want to do it. Don't want to see it. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, it's scary. Uh, this is every time we doubt the man, he comes back and 
he seems to just go on a tear like this. And, uh, and it's an indictment on the, on the Falcons too. The Packers defense has not been very good so far this year and they could not just get the ball moving at all here. Matt Ryan, you know, 28 to 39, 285 yards, no touchdowns. Todd Gurley, decent game, 16 carries, 57 yards, got two scores in there. Uh, I can't say this guy's name, Zacchaeus uh, Orlando, Olamade Zacchaeus. I, I didn't get the chance to watch Monday Night Football to hear how they pronounced it, Matt. What do you, what, what do you, how do you, how do you say it? Do you know? I just go, I, I'm just going to call him Zakaya. That's all I need. Zakaya. Yeah, eight catches, 86 yards, decent game. No Julio, no Calvin Ridley. So, uh, Russell Gage left the game early, I believe. So, it is, uh, it's a struggle for Atlanta, and it's, you're starting to think that it's almost quitting time for Dan Quinn here. Uh, do you think Dan Quinn's going to get fired before the end of the season? Ah, uh, man. I, mm, I don't think Arthur Blank would do that. I, I think he's going to let him write out the year, but, yeah, he's going to get fired at the end of this year. No, no way he sticks. I mean, they, this is the second straight year, I feel like, that they started 0-4, and then last year they, they go on a run late in the season, and it saves Quinn's job. Uh, I think you can't give him the chance anymore. I think it's time to move on from, from Dan Quinn and uh, see what's out there, and there's going to be a coveted head coach um, uh, <laughs> out there that everyone's going to want to get their hands on uh, in the offseason. So we'll talk about some coaching moving movements uh, in a little bit, but we're going to move on now to the second Monday Night Football game, which there were two this week, only due to uh, – COVID concerns, Cam Newton tested positive for the coronavirus on Saturday, and he was placed on the COVID-19 list not long after that, uh, thus putting this game on hold temporarily. This game was originally scheduled for Sunday at 4.30. Um, they, with, with rapid testing and contact tracing, they determined that uh, this game was safe enough to play. They moved it to Monday night. Uh, and then you got Brian Hoyer starting for the Patriots. And this game kind of felt like the Chiefs showed up and said, you know what, we can beat Brian Hoyer and not really try all that hard. Yeah, this one felt like a flat performance on the Chiefs' end. Uh, Mahomes wasn't his normal, super accurate self, even though I do believe he still put up, you know, decent numbers, but not Patrick Mahomes' numbers. So um, Travis Kelsey had a decent game, an okay game. I think what really sticks out is that the Patriots left a lot of points on the board at halftime, Brian Hoyer, not no well before halftime, taking that sack, thinking that he had another timeout in his pocket. He didn't clock winds down. They don't get the field goal. And then, you know, <laughs> the terrible play in the red zone. I believe they, I, it wasn't, I think it was an interception. I believe it was an interception or a fumble, a turnover. It was something. They didn't get the touchdown. They've too many trips into the red zone, not getting in there. So, I'm sorry. Yes, it was a fumble. They did fumble the football in the red zone. So, plays like that against a team like the Chiefs, you can't do it. You can't shoot yourself in the foot. You can't have that many turnovers. I think going forward, if Cam can't play next week, you're going to see Stidham play. I don't think they go back to Brian Hoyer. You kind of know what you have there. So, But Stidham didn't look great either. I mean, I, I thought the Chiefs won this pretty handily. Um, I never felt there was a threat in this game. Yeah, I don't I, – I'm kind of – uh, scratching my head at the decision to start Brian Hoyer anyway. Uh, all offseason before the Cam Newton signing, everyone just assumed Jared Stidham was the guy. Uh, Brian Hoyer is a journeyman backup at this point, but I'm not Bill Belichick, so I don't get paid the big bucks for that. Um, 
this was a six to three game in the third quarter. And I was pretty shocked about that before a, a unique play call reverse. Uh, they called it a touchdown pass to me Hardman, uh, or I think maybe it was Tyreek Hill. I don't remember which one, but uh, it looked like a shuffle pass to me, which I guess isn't a handoff anyway. So they credited uh, Mahomes with a touchdown pass on that. But Brian Hoyer, not play, did not play well in this game. 15 to 24, 130 yards, one pick, 38 QBR. And then Stidham would come in in the second half, go five of 13 for 60 yards, one touchdown, two picks. This just you know, kind of felt like to me that the Chiefs were sleepwalking and they weren't going to show the Patriots anything of note. And, you know, they have great respect for Bill Belichick and, you know, they're not going to give him something that he could use against them later on. Yeah. And, I think that's exactly what it is. They'll probably see the Patriots. I, I think the Patriots make the playoffs uh, because really the drop-off when you get in that AFC, you got the Steelers, you definitely have the Chiefs, you probably definitely have the Titans and the Bills. So those are your four big teams right there that are probably winning their divisions. And then I could see the Patriots, Browns, and, you know, I don't know if the Raiders are in that mix, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we definitely will see. But the Chiefs uh... – even on a bad day, still cover and win by 16 over a team in the Patriots that most people think are at least a playoff team. But no Cam Newton, so hard to judge anything from New England yesterday other than a valiant uh, defensive effort. Okay, the third primetime game of the week uh, that we did not touch on yet was an upset that I was so close to calling on the show on Friday, but it was the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Santa Clara, not San Francisco, Santa Clara uh, at the big (laughs) bell bottom. Uh, and beating the 49ers with Nick Mullins, the quarterback, featuring C.J. Beathard, I should say. But the Eagles get off the schneid here and find themselves in first place in the NFC East at 1-2-1, and one, Matt. What the hell happened here? Oh, a crap load of ugly. This game, for a Sunday night game, I it, <laughs> boy, what are the adjectives to describe this news fast? Um, <laughs> Mullins, for, for all the hype, everyone's saying he's a first-round quarterback or, you know, worthy of being a start in the NFL. No, no, no. Watching that game, you could see every hole that they had on offense because of Mullins at quarterback. And all the 49er fans that want to complain about Jimmy Garoppolo, I would just put it in your back pocket because you saw what life is like without a starting quarterback and having to go to your backup. C.J. Beathard? Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't think he looked too bad, but still, you've seen C.J. Beathard, one of those guys that, you know, comes into a game late and puts up some numbers, but once, you know, you prepare for him, you're ready for him, it's, it's going to be like Cinderella and the glass slipper and the pumpkin. C.J. Beathard's just a pumpkin at that point. But I'll say this much. That interception that Nick Mullins threw, that, that pick six, I – I would have grabbed him by his face mask and I would have thrown him to the bench because that is one of the worst unimaginable throws that you could ever make. He's thrown a comeback route. The linebacker is sitting right in that area, right in your line of vision. Either if Mullins didn't see him, I don't know. That's pretty damning, but I want to talk one more thing about this game before I'm just done with it. To be honest, was that Wentz dime pass on the sideline and they still got the touchdown. That throw was so beautiful. And literally, we talk about the only place where the wide receiver could catch it. He literally put it in the only place the wide receiver was going to catch it. So I thought that was the play of the game. And the Eagles are finally not – well, I guess – I'm not sure how they count a tie, but they finally got a win. 
I mean, now it's looking like that tie was a good decision, you know. I mean, now they have a half-game lead in, for first place in the division, which uh, despite my, my lack of uh, interest in playing for a tie, it worked out in their favor, at least to this point. Um, yeah, look, the Eagles are a team that are probably going to scrape out some wins like this. They're probably going to win the division at 8-8, eight and eight, them or Dallas, and we'll figure out, you know, how that plays out. Uh, but this is just uh, just shows me how much better Jimmy Garoppolo is than the two guys you mentioned. And as much as I don't love Jimmy Garoppolo, he's clearly much better than Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard. That throw by Mullins was atrocious, and it's kind of embarrassing that an NFL quarterback could make that throw. Um I mean, this game was really, uh, for lack of a better word, boring. Uh, it was eight to seven at halftime, and you know the fourth quarter had some interesting moments, but uh, for the most part, kind of a snooze fest. Wentz was eighteen of twenty-eight, one hundred ninety-three yards, touchdown, a pick. Um, Mullins eighteen of twenty-six, two hundred yards, touchdown, two picks. C.J. Beathard fourteen to nineteen, one hundred thirty-eight yards, and no picks, and no touchdowns. Uh, my comeback player of the year. Uh, prediction Jarek McKinnon looking pretty good 14 carries 54 yards and a touchdown and then he added seven catches for 43 yards like that I mean George Kittle looks like he's back by the way we should talk about George Kittle quickly 15 catches 183 yards and a touchdown Matt he certainly looked healthy right oh yeah that's a nice weapon to have uh well, you talk about player of the week, that might be have, that might have to go to Kittle, at least for any fantasy owners that have them, because man, yeah. what a night of production, especially in the PPR league. Yes, yeah, you know, that, that's going to get you a win more times than not. But yeah, Kittle looked good, dominant, hard to bring down, finding that space, using his body. He's such a joy to watch at the tight end position. You know, I would be scared to think if the 49ers actually had a deep threat. But the one – there's something else I wanted to talk about, and I forgot, was that Brandon Ayuk touchdown mm-hmm. where he literally leaped over one and then not one but two defenders. Just mm-hmm. that guy has got some serious hops. I think he could be a really, really sneaky good player for this 49ers team if they use him right. I'll be interested to see how this offense works with Mostert back and Jimmy Garoppolo back at the helm. Yeah, I, I said to pick up Ayuk in fantasy last week. If he was available, there's probably no chance he's going to be available after that highlight play. Uh, he certainly has looked good the last two weeks. And now there's a, 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 some, some questions for the 49ers. Their only two wins came against the two crap shows in New Jersey, and then they lose to uh, Philly, who most of us think has underperformed to this point. I don't think that's even an understatement. And then to the a division rival in the Cardinals. So we'll see about the 49ers moving forward, but they really need to get healthy uh, if they're going to not have that Super Bowl hangover. All right, Matt, we're going to go over the rest of the Sunday slate now. Uh, and why don't you get us started here? Yeah, Bengals-Jags, game of the week. Just kidding. Let's not go that far. But it was an entertaining game for us Joe Burrow fans. Joe Burrow, 25 of 36, 300 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's 300 yards passing every game to start his career, which is an NFL record. Congratulations, Joe Burrow. Joe Mixon, 25 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns. Joe Mixon looking every bit that fantasy stud that you hoped he would be. Um, you know, wide receiver spread out the ball. You know, that's Mixon's thing. Or I'm sorry, Burrow's thing. Burrow does a really nice job of spreading out the rock. So you really give him credit. Then we t- go to the offensive side of the ball for the Jags because defensively they were kind of MIA there. Gardner Minshew, 27 to 40, 351, two touchdowns, one interception. Minshew lights it up in the fourth quarter as usual. I, it's either behind or ahead. And, you know, everyone's favorite thong wearing workout warrior. Now, James Robinson, Illinois State product, 17 carries, 75 yards, no touchdowns, but DJ Chark, I thought him coming back would be a difference. 
eight receptions, 95 yards, two touchdowns. This Jaguars team is just not good enough to be average teams at this point. So that's why we see the Jags at one and three. And that's why we see the Bengals at one, two, and one. Sweet toe tap touchdown from TJ Chark in that game as well. Uh, all right, moving on to SoFi Stadium, the beautiful California state-of-the-art stadium, uh, where the New York Giants came in as 12.5-point dogs and actually put up a pretty decent fight for most of this game. They were down 10-6 to for a long time and then cut it to 10-9 to before Jared Goff would hit Cooper Cup on a long 55-yard touchdown to seal it. This game would end 17-9. to and this is just an indictment again on Dave Gettleman because of the lack of talent on offense for the Giants. Obviously, the loss of Saquon Barkley hurts a little bit, and then uh, not having Sterling Shepard hurts. But the uh, Giants' offense does not have anyone who scares opposing defenses, and that's the biggest issue right now. The offensive line can't block anyone, and nobody can get open. They can't run the ball. Uh, Daniel Jones has regressed because of that. Uh, the play calling has been just absolutely atrocious, uh, and the defense has been surprisingly better than I expected, but. Still not good enough when your offense cannot help you. This is the second straight week the Giants could not score a touchdown. Uh, they have not scored a touchdown since week two. They only have three touchdowns on the season. So 0-4 for the Giants in uh, Dallas, with one of the best offenses in the NFL approaching. I don't know what to make of this game for the Rams. Uh, maybe they just took the Giants for granted and just said, screw it, they, they stink. We're just going to go do the bare minimum and win anyway. But – Nonetheless, they get the win. They are 3-1, and one, and the Giants are 0-4, Matt. A lot of downhill stuff going with that team. But speaking of downhill, I, I went with this, and I hate it. Leon Tompkins, your Detroit Lions are absolute dog shit. Up 14 to nothing. The Lions show strong. Like, oh, man, I picked Lions. I saw that 14 to nothing score, and I'm like, all right. Drew Brees throws a terrible interception. On, you know, the first play they had. But Lions get out to the gates fast, score an opening touchdown, interception Drew Brees. Then the Lions come back, score another touchdown. Kenny Galladay right there. And Swift actually caught a touchdown pass for that first one. And then it was all downhill from there, Randy. The Saints proceed to score 21 points. Actually, I'm sorry, 28 unanswered points. End up winning this game 35-29. Lions are just awful defensively. I just I don't understand how this team gets out to a 14-3, 14-0 lead, and then we have to be subjected to this dog shit defense. But anyway, <laughs> Drew Brees, 19 for 25, 246 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and then they just shoved the ball right down Detroit's throw. Alvin Kamara, 19 carries, 83 yards, one touchdown. Latavius Murray, who was on my bench – 14 carries, 64 yards, two touchdowns. Great job, Matt. Um, Lions, not a whole lot here. Stafford, 17 of 31, 206 yards, three touchdowns. Leon, you're not going to get to a first-place offense, a top-five offense with these some of these numbers. Adrian Peterson, 11 carries, 36 yards, and one touchdown. DeAndre Swift, four carries, 22 yards. Not a whole lot to talk about. Galladay, four receptions, 62 yards, one touchdown. I don't see a top-five offense. Yeah, Leon showing his frustration um, for the defense uh, in Detroit in the comments section saying that they do not blitz at all. Uh, well, I think that blitzing is a, a big a testament to your defensive uh, roster and your talent. So, I mean, maybe it's a, a roster construction issue and, you know, you have issues on the back end. Uh, my question for the, the Lions is, like, they, they drafted Okuda to replace Slay, but I feel like their defense would be so much better if they had Slay and Okuda. That would be incredible to have both of those guys. 
but I am not Matt Patricia, nor am I a front office member of the Detroit Lions. And here the Lions are at one and three and very easily could be 0 and four. But uh, we are going to move on now to rapid fire to Dallas, Texas, or Arlington, I should say, because the Cowboys are just a number of teams, uh, a list of number of teams who do not play where they say they play, despite uh, the Giants and Jets only getting crap for it, uh, where the Browns just put it all over the Cowboys. This was just the, the best delight for a game. For me, one of my favorite colors is orange, and just to see that beautiful orange on the cleats and some of the helmets, like, then there's some clean uniforms, and the Browns are just pretty basic. But when they have that all brown uniform with the orange, I'm a fan. I like the way that looks. Uh, an average game for Baker Mayfield, 19 to 30, 165 yards, two touchdowns. No, no turnovers for Baker, so that's a good sign. But this game, and shout out to my guy. He always owned the Cowboys when he was with the Giants. This game was the Odell Beckham Jr. show. He had uh, five catches for 81 yards, two touchdowns, and he had the game-sealing 50-yard touchdown run on a reverse where he ran 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage and then just took off. He had two carries for 73 yards and that touchdown. It was by far the best game of, of his career with the Browns. Uh, and then that other touchdown reception, I should mention, was not from Baker Mayfield, but it was from Jarvis Landry on a trickery play from the Browns. Uh, Landry threw a lefty dime right to Odell in the end zone. So that was pretty as well. Uh, we're going to talk about it later. Nick Chubb did leave this game with an injury. We'll touch on the status of him. He, he, uh, his departure left it to be the Kareem Hunt show, which was 11 carries, 71 yards, and two touchdowns. So it's a nice luxury. Um for the Browns to not have to have one guy get hurt and have another guy who's already dominant. And then this uh, other running back that they had had 13 carries, 95 yards uh, in Denurst Johnson, who you might see him get picked up in waivers. If Chubb is out uh, 13 carries, 95 yards did not find the end zone, but a nice game for him overall. But uh, you know, the, the Browns were up huge in this game. They, I just want to do the math quickly in my head. They were up 41 to 14 at one point in this game before that Odell touchdown and the Cowboys would score 24 points in the fourth quarter to make this look like an interesting game. The Cowboys have a real defense issue here. Uh, the Browns are not the most special offense ever. And to let them hang 49 on you like this is a real problem for the Cowboys. Uh, Dak Prescott does what Dak Prescott does. And I'm going to give Dak a little crap here because he's getting a lot of credit for leading the league in passing yards. Um, but this is Blake Bortles in 2016 all over again. When the Jaguars were down big, Blake would just rack up the garbage time points. This is all garbage time stats for Dak. And he's playing well. I understand that. But this is low pressure stats and game script for Prescott. He had 41 <laughs> – he was 41 to 58, 500 yards, four touchdowns, just one pick. I mean, those are great stats. But all out of that is when you're already down three touchdowns. So I need to, to see that consistency before the hand. And I need to get the Cowboys to use Ezekiel Elliott more in, in these games. He had 12 carries for 54 yards. And, uh, you know, he wasn't that involved in the passing. No, he was actually. He had eight, eight catches for 71 yards. So Zeke, I think they need to try to run the ball a little bit better, help their defense out. That's what always the Cowboys did when they were really good. Uh, they would ball control, make their defense rested, uh, and then, you know, potentially win because of that but they're they have a real bad defense problem the browns this has been the game for them that they they looked so good in this game this was a great game for our boy miles garrett who had two sacks uh and he i believe he forced a fumble too so the browns this, you can't be mad about how this game went for you you're three and one you look really good if you're the cowboys you're one and three and you could not be happier that the giants were walking into your building Lots of problems. Lots of problems. It's all a problem, baby, as John Fox would say. 
then we move on to the Seattle Seahawks versus the beleaguered Miami Dolphins. Seattle moves to 4-0, 131 and 131 to 23 here. I just could say this, the Dolphins offense looks disjointed all over the place. They end up kicking not one, not two, not three, not four, but five field goals this game, five field goals. They finally get the touchdown on their last possession with the two point conversion to make it 23, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's, it's got to get to a time here. Fitzpatrick, 29 and 45, 315, two picks, not good enough. Six carries, 47 yards and a touchdown. Their only touchdown on the ground and or through the air. Devontae Parker, I would love to see this guy get in the end zone more. Ten receptions, 110 yards. So he's getting you some points there at the receiver position. But really, not a whole lot going for the Dolphins. Seattle, I don't know if you call this a down game for Russell Wilson, but 24 of 34, 360 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Chris Carson had 16 carries for 80 yards, two touchdowns. Glad to see him fully healthy from that. Just really cheap and dirty injury by the Cowboys. So the Cowboys get a little clumps with the Browns there. DK Metcalf, best deep ball receiver in the entire NFL. Four receptions, 106 yards. David Moore, three receptions, 95 yards, one touchdown there. And then a lot of love being spread out by Russell Wilson. Every receiver gets, you get a reception, you get a reception, and you get a reception. Not going to name them all. But, yep, Seattle, impressive win going to Miami. And I know a lot of people will criticize this. Miami has a really good defense. I like where they're going. They're going in the right direction. And they have not one, but two first-round picks. Both could be in the top ten. So, bravo, Miami. You're on the ups. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on now to Tampa, another Florida team playing this week. And – you know, the Bucks would go down to the Chargers big time in this game. They were down 24-7 to at one point, and it looked bleak for the Bucks before. And, then, Matt, and if I, had, I just want to pose a question to you really quick here. If a 43-year-old quarterback threw for five touchdowns to five different receivers, would you be impressed? Uh, it depends on the defense. If, against, if it's against the Cowboys, no. <laughs> All right. Well, to Tom Brady, uh, the – Debatable, but uh, largely considered greatest of all time, uh, did just that in this game. He was 30 of 46, 369 yards, five touchdowns. He is so old. How is he still doing this? Uh, he, he led the comeback over the Chargers. The Bucks would eventually win this game, 38 to 31. And like I said, five different players caught touchdowns for the Bucks: Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, O.J. Howard, Keyshawn Vaughn, and Cameron Brait. Uh, you know. Brady doing his best to spread the ball around. A lot of guys catching passes in this game. Ronald Jones, 20, of, 20 carries, 111 yards. Uh, as far as the Chargers go, Matt, here, um, you mentioned Joe Burrow was the first rookie ever to throw for 300 yards in uh, three, his first three games, or in three straight games, I should say. Justin Herbert was 10 yards away from matching him on that. Uh, Herbert was 20 to 25, 290 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. So Justin Herbert continues an impressive start to his career. Um, and he had five carries, 14 yards. Austin Eckler goes down in this game, which really is going to hurt the Chargers moving forward. But there are some throws that Herbert made in this game that if you're gonna, if you have an all 22 or you watch tape, you're going to be really impressed with some of the throws that Herbert made here. I mean, these are darts that he's throwing to guys. Uh, Jalen Guyton, who we talked about briefly for 
in uh, hard knocks, he had a long touchdown at one catch for 72 yards and a touchdown. Keenan Allen didn't find the end zone, but he had eight for 62. Um, Johnson, I mean, they had Ty- Tyrone Johnson had one catch for 53 yards and a touchdown. He's just throwing to random guys that we don't even know of. So I love that about uh, Justin Herbert. He's not just staring down Keenan Allen, although <laughs> I shouldn't really say that Keenan Allen had 12 targets, but he is still taking chances with guys who are relatively unknown. So Herbert looking really good uh, on that side of the ball. Mike Evans had an incredible game, seven catches for 122 yards. Got into a brief fight with the defense uh, for the Chargers too. Not as bad as the fight as the Giants game, but we, we can talk about that later. But, you know, the defense for the Bucks, as much as I love it, really played poorly in this game. I don't know if it's a Herbert thing or they just kind of, I don't know, they had a bad game, but Levante David still continuing uh, his great season. He had 11 total tackles. Shaquille Barrett at another sack. And Devin White only had four tackles, but you know, the Bucks get the job done and they come back and they're three and one with a very big NFC matchup here with your bears on Thursday night, which we will talk about in just a little bit. Moving on to the Baltimore Ravens versus the Washington football team. I'm sorry, just Washington football team always cracks me up. Yeah. You know, call this a freeway <laughs> series. They don't play very far away from each other. So Baltimore comes away with an easy win, 31 to 17, not as close as the score would indicate. At one point they were up 31 to 10. Um, I'm sorry, 28 to 10 garbage touchdown by the Washington football club. Uh, Just not going to spend a lot of time on here, but just to give some Lamar Jackson love 14 of 21, 193 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. You do have to worry about him in shootouts. I do believe Um, then Lamar Jackson, seven carries 53 yards, a very nice touchdown run for him. Mark Ingram, eight carries, 34 yards, one touchdown. Gus Edwards, nine carries, 38 yards. Odd man out, J.K. Dobbins. A lot of people have him in their fantasy leagues, and I think he's on drop watch. There mm-hmm. we go. We got one right here. Mm-hmm. Five catch or five carries, 16 yards. Um, not a lot of love there. But Mark Andrews, tight end week, right? Three receptions, 57 yards, and two touchdowns. So Baltimore humming along, the Washington football team. Not a terrible game by Dwayne Haskins, 32-45, 314 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. A lot of underneath stuff for him that game. Rushing, Antonio Gibson, 13 carries, 46 yards, a touchdown. And Terry McLaurin, 10 receptions, 118 yards. Standout performance probably by McLaurin and Gibson for this Washington football team offense. But Washington's 1-3, Baltimore's 3-1, going in opposite directions. Yes, sir. And we move on now to the Corey Corey Decker Invitational. Uh, Our friend Cardinals fan predicted this uh, on the show last Tuesday. Uh, The Cardinals must have an issue with blue because they travel to Carolina and just get beat up on by the Carolina Panthers. They lose 31 to 21. And this game was not all that close. Uh, They were down 21 to seven in the the second quarter here. And it really didn't get that close. I mean, there's a 10-point game late, but they scored a garbage-time touchdown to make it look that way. Uh, the stat sheet for Kyler Murray is a weird one, 24 of 31, 133 yards, three touchdowns, but only the 133 yards, obviously struggling to move the ball. Six carries for 78 yards. So, yeah, Kyler in fantasy still had a nice day, but overall did not move the ball all that well. The Kenyon Drake, if you were all in on Kenyon Drake this year, which I don't understand, but if you picked him in the first round of fantasy, it is welcome to Dumpsville for Kenyon Drake for me. Uh, he had 13 carries, just 35 yards, and still has yet to find the end zone. So I did not like Kenyon Drake coming in. And uh, 
I think that justifies that. <clears throat> DeAndre Hopkins, his first quiet game at the Cardinals this year. I think he was a little banged up coming in, so uh, that might have something to do with it. He had seven catches, 41 yards, and on nine targets, but, you know, he has seven catches. Typically, he's well over 100 yards, so maybe he's a little limited. Maybe he doesn't have that deep feel, uh, deep threat feel this week. Um, so, I mean, the Cardinals, maybe that they are – maybe they're kind of fraudulent here. Uh, maybe they can add – maybe it's just a blue thing. Maybe the Lions and the Panthers – uh, it's definitely not a Giants color blue. It's definitely more of a lighter blue that they are afraid of because uh, this is the second straight week they've fallen to a team with those colors. Uh, but Teddy Two Gloves, second straight week, played really well. Teddy Bridgewater, 26-37, 276 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Also found the end zone rushing. He had six carries for 32 yards on the ground as well. Uh, Mike Davis is filling in nicely for Christian McCaffrey in his absence, 16 carries, 84 yards and a touchdown. And he also had five catches for 27 yards. So this is a team with that lost their best player and is adjusting nicely. So credit to Carolina there. Uh, this offense is kind of entertaining to watch as well. They spread the ball around Robbie Anderson, having a career resurgence outside of the jets and Adam Gase. Sorry, Jake, but uh, he had eight catches for 99 yards. Uh, Curtis Samuel, 351. DJ Moore, 4 for 49. I mean, they're, the ball is kind of going all over the place here. Reggie Bonifon catches a touchdown. Like, it is all pretty random. But, you know, Matt Rule running a pretty, you know, entertaining offense, all things considered, over there in Carolina. Uh, and they're both these teams are 2-2, two and two, and one, they're probably feeling a lot different right now. Oh, boy. Moving from a game with expectations to a game with no expectations, we had the Minnesota Vikings beat the Houston Texans, which I successfully called one of my few games that I picked correctly. Man, what a crap show this was. Minnesota, one and three, scored 31 points, and the Houston Texans, void of a Bill O'Brien now, congratulations, 23 points. Overall, the Vikings, 16 of 22 for Kirk Cousins, 260 yards, one touchdown. This was really all Dalvin Cook all the time. 27 carries, 130 yards, two touchdowns. Alexander Madsen, seven carries, 17 yards, one touchdown, kind of doing that dirty work to get those yards. Big receiver performances out of Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Thielen goes for eight catches, 114 yards, and one touchdown. Justin, Justin Jefferson, four catches, 103 yards. So Kirk Cousins finally found a team that he could beat because they're winless. Deshaun Watson, 20 of 33, 300 yards, two touchdowns. This man is just, he's got to want to get that, get out of jail free card. David Johnson, the 1,000-1,000 season. I think we can officially bury that. 16 carries for 63 yards, two receptions, 29 yards. Not going to get you that, David. You got to get more receptions and more yards to get that 1,000. Will Fuller, six catches, 108 yards, one touchdown. Kenny Stills, two catches for 39 yards, one touchdown. The big story, like I said, is Bill O'Brien getting fired. We'll touch on that later. But Miami successfully owns their first and second round pick next year. So congratulations, Laramie Tunsil and the Houston Texans. You are now 0-4. Uh, yeah, interesting you pointed out Laramie Tunsil there because uh, there are some news after this game, which we will talk about in a little bit. But uh, some, some bad times over there at Houston and a transition era now for Deshaun Watson as well. All right, moving on to now the game where I'm expected to apologize to a quarterback who played in this game, Matt. And I want to ask you, uh, there was a football game played in Las Vegas uh, between a team who plays in Western New York and a team who just moved to Las Vegas. Now, both of these quarterbacks are highly criticized, and one is often uh, considered an MVP candidate, and one is not. Which one of these quarterbacks do you think played better? I'm going to go with Derek Carr. 
Well, if you look at the stat sheet, Derek Carr did play better. He was 32 of 44, 311 yards and two touchdowns, whereas the uh, uh, the highly touted Josh Allen is 24 of 34 for 288 yards and two touchdowns, and Derek Carr added four carries for 20 yards, whereas Josh Allen only had three carries for minus one yard. So despite the Bills getting the win here, it certainly feels like Derek Carr played better than this guy who is being overhyped like crazy, but I'll give this to Josh Allen for how bad he had been in his first three years or first two years and how poor, like how uh, inaccurate he was and how bad he was at decision-making and how just he had lack of football knowledge in general, could read a defense. He has drastically improved. I cannot even, I don't know how anyone could deny that. He has played so much better than me. You and I certainly thought he could. Um, but the MVP of this team is not Josh Allen. It is Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs is why this is happening. Stefan Diggs is a true number one elite wide receiver. He had six catches for 115 yards today, and he makes every play that Josh Allen needs him to make. He is way better than I thought. I, I hand up, I, like I said, all offseason, I thought Stefan Diggs was overrated. He has been anything but. He has been incredible for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I love Devin Singletary, the player, when Zach Moss is not there. He proved that this week, 18 carries, 55 yards, and a touchdown. He also had five catches for 21 yards. So with Zach Moss coming back, uh, I don't love Singletary as much. And so much so, I traded Singletary in a fantasy league because of that. But uh, the Bills and Josh Allen get the win here. Josh Allen um, gets sacked at one point, and his arm goes into the turf. It looked like a scary uh, hyperextension situation with his elbow, but he still uh, played through it. He put a strap on, and he seemed like he was um, – he was fine. He was good to go, and he could finish off the game from there. Um, but the Raiders – and this was a good game all the way to the end here. Uh, the Bills obviously won the game at the end, but this was a pretty entertaining game for the most part. Our guy Waller the baller, nine catches for 88 yards. Hunter Renfro, five for 57. But the Raiders just like discipline on defense. Uh, that's going to be a, uh, a trend all season long for the Raiders. But the Bills are 4-0 now and look like they are poised to make a run in the AFC, and the Raiders are 2-2. Two and two. Um, in the division with the Chiefs. So uh, I'm interested to see how these two seasons shape up. And uh, it's not going to apologize to Josh Allen, but certainly has improved as a football player. Okay, moving on from that bum to another bum. Uh, Chicago Bears versus Indianapolis Colts. It was a matchup of a 2-1 and Colts team versus a 3-0 and Bears team. Colts come out victorious 19-11. Don't let the score fool you. It was not that close. Plenty of Bears talk coming up, though. Um, Philip Rivers, 16 to 29, 190 yards, one touchdown. Did not look good. The Bears' defense did look like they played better. Jonathan Taylor, 17 carries, 68 yards, and then just a bunch of carries by Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins, nine carries apiece, 24 yards for Hines, um, 15 carries for Wilkins. Um, just a, a lot of balls spreading out by Philip Rivers, Zach Pascal, three catches, 58 yards for your leading wide receiver. Bears, they see Nick Foles go 26 to 42 for 249 yards, one touchdown, one interception. David Montgomery, 10 carries, 27 yards, really not able to get this offense going at all. A lot of three and outs to start the game. I believe it was four straight three and outs. Um, then Allen Robinson, the leading receiver, showing out again, seven receptions, 101 yards, one touchdown. A lot of the, that touchdown was in garbage time, of course. Darnell Mooney starting to look like he's finding his rhythm with Chicago. Five receptions, 52 yards. Jimmy Graham, four receptions for 33 yards. Overall, to sum up this game, it's just disjointed out of um, just no offensive rhythm. 
And since it's our next topic, Bears Bucks, Randy, what do you say we kind of go into that? Sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the news and the injuries after that, but we can jump right into the TNF preview now. But, um, you know, Matt, you were so adamant that this was going to be a 4-0 Bears versus a 3-1 Bucks matchup, but now we're getting the battle of 3-1 teams here. Uh, I know I even had high expect, higher expectations for the Nick Foles era uh, in Chicago. Maybe Nick Foles is just the guy who you need to bring in in the third quarter of every game when you're down a score or two, and then he can just turn into Superman. Um, but I didn't get to watch a lot of this game here. Was this a scheming issue? Was this, um, you know, the Colts defense is just really good. What was, what seemed to be the problem with Foles in this game? Well, I think for Foles, it's just lack of, you know, timing, understanding where your wide receivers, let's keep in mind. And this cannot be understated. The, The bar was set up so high after that Atlanta game that it was unattainable. It was a secondary that had no players no business playing a lot of practice squad players so many injuries so now you play a Colts defense with a very very good offense I'm sorry defensive line and offensive line the Bears Foles missed a lot of throws so I'm going to come at Foles here a little bit but I'm also going to give him a break it's one game I don't think we get hyperbolic and start saying oh the Bears is trash the Bears are this that's just football stupid The Bears have issues. If anyone thought that this team with Mitchell Trubisky or Nick Foles at quarterback was going to win the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, your expectations were way out of whack. The next thing I'll say is that this team just screams 10 and 6. They're going to beat the Texans. They're going to beat the Jaguars. They're going to beat the Vikings. They're going to beat the Lions. And, you know, there's some other sprinkled in games there. They could get to 10 wins. I mean, this is football hell, 8-8, eight and 10-6, eight, and six, somewhere in that range, kind of what a lot of people were feeling this year. But this team is not good enough to compete with the Tampa Bays. Yes, they are going to lose Thursday. That's going to happen. They cannot keep pace in shootouts, which is what it is, and Tampa Bay has an underrated defense. They're going to lose to teams like, um, I'm sorry, I forgot them, the Tennessee Titans. They're going to lose to the Packers twice. This team is not built for that. And I'll defend Nagy on this. I don't have an issue with the play calling. A lot of people want to point to play calling. That's just a lazy narrative. The Bears offensive line going against that Colts defensive line was overmatched. Charles Leno, chasing Charlie, as my brother affectionately calls him, got his ass beat like a drum all game. So, and Bobby Massey didn't play well either on the right side. So you're taking a Bears offense and you're saying, well, why didn't we run more? What the hell are you going to do? David Montgomery, 2.7 yards per carry. Cordell Patterson, 1.7. They had nothing going. They averaged under two yards per carry rushing the football. So when you're not getting first downs, you don't get the opportunity to run more plays. Why did they throw the ball so many times? Because they were down in the fourth quarter. There were so many punts and so many three and outs that you can't get a rhythm. If you want to blame Nagy for a couple of things, blame him, blame him for still starting Charles Leno. Blame him for not getting off Trubisky last year when he could have and standing up to pace. The real culprit here is Ryan Pace because when you – this is why this team's 8-8. Eight and eight. Habitually 8-8, eight and eight, this is why. Kevin White, Leonard Floyd, Mitch Trubisky, Roquan Smith. Those are your last four first-round picks, all in the top ten. Roquan 
and to say that he's the best out of the bunch is very misleading because it's not like he's flashing out there. Uh, the thing I see with Roquan Smith, him making tackles 10 yards downfield after he missed the cutback lane. That's what we're looking at with this Bears team. And I know I'm ranting and raving here, but the Bears defense, they're okay. You know, Eddie Goldman's a bigger loss for people who say, well, the Bears defense didn't play that well. You know what? Fine. They gave up pass plays. Phillip Rivers torched other teams. So there's a little give and take here. The Colts are a good football team. The Bears are an average football team. There are going to be more games like this game that you saw this past Sunday. You, you didn't like this game? Don't watch the Packers games. I'm going to tell you that right now. Stay away from that garbage because Aaron Rodgers is going to light their ass up. But, you know, it, it's football. You're a Bears fan. Enjoy what you have because we saw the Mark Trussman era. Everyone that wants to fire Nagy, what the fuck you want to go back to? Mark Trussman, this team has shown an incompetence at hiring general managers and head coaches. I'm willing to give Nagy a chance and let him select the next coach. I do not think he's that bad of a coach as everyone wants to make him out to be. So, you know, take it as it is. Poor Roquan Smith uh, was on the receiving end of one of the best uh, – Mic'd up people in the league, which is Philip Rivers. Uh, he, I don't know if you heard it, but <laughs> Philip Rivers points at Roquan Smith and said, 28 turned the corner on you in his little Southern accent. And he's talking about Jonathan Taylor beating Roquan Smith in one of the plays. Um, but I guess moving forward here, Matt, to this matchup with the Bucks, uh, the offense, you, you pointed out the offensive line struggles for the Bears, the, the lack of running game, which, you know, uh, take out the Giants game. Jordan Montgomery has been pretty disappointing, has not had a very good season to this point. Uh, Tariq Cohen, uh, I guess the loss to Tariq Cohen matters more than most people realize because he doesn't have that scat back uh, aspect of third down receiving uh, aspect to that offense. It's gone now gone. But, uh, you know, I expected Nick Foles to come in and at least be able to, like you said, read defenses a little bit better, spread the ball around a little bit more. Um, but these struggles up with the line and the running game in general remain. I mean, and the with the Bucks pass rush, I think a lot of it is going to continue on Thursday night. My issue with saying that Nick Foles um, struggled. Well, first of all, he made the right reads. He was throwing to guys that were open, but the issue was, was the arm accuracy and the arm strength. You know, because we saw Darnell Mooney overthrew Darnell Mooney, overthrew Allen Robinson. A lot of these were overthrows to guys that, you know, maybe if Nick Foles played more, he would hit these guys. I don't know. But Nick Foles is exactly what you kind of expect as a journeyman quarterback. But, yeah, he can read defenses. He should help stabilize the offense. If Mitch Trubisky would have started this game or start the game against the Bucks, this shit would be ugly in a hurry. Trubisky would have thrown five picks just for a couple of decisions of Foles just throwing the ball away on one screen pass. He just threw it at Montgomery's feet because he knew he had nothing. Trubisky's either taking a sack or throwing it to a defender for a pick six. It just is what it is. So if you're clamoring for Mitch, I don't know what to tell you. That's football stupid. If, if the bears defense does not make a statement early and they don't get a lead against Tom Brady, it is going to be an ugly game because Shaq Barrett is going to be able to, just hunt down Nick Foles because we saw it. Nick Foles is not mobile enough to escape sacks. I think Trubisky, the one thing that he did do for this offense was kind of neutralize the pass rush with his legs. But what neutralized his ability with the pass rush is that he made a lot of dumbass throws that cost him his job by still not being able to read defenses. So all in all, this Bears team, you know, it's, 
it's football. It's enjoyable. You sit down and watch it. I'm going to watch Thursday night and I'm expecting them to lose. I expect them to be competitive, but I, I do think it's going to be a loss. They're going to be three and two, but you know what? Three and two is not the end of the world. Enjoy this team. They have a shot at the playoffs. Uh, I would sign up for three and two in a heartbeat. Uh, shout out to Fami. I, I mispronounced. I said Jordan Montgomery's David Montgomery's the running back for the bears. Uh, my apologies there. Um, all right, so let's get into it now. The matchup with the Bucks. Um, Foles coming off of a game where you know he leaves much to be desired, whereas Tom Brady has his best game as a Buccaneer, and you know makes Tampa fans pretty happy of what they saw. While the Patriots, meanwhile, started Brian Hoyer in a game against the Chiefs. Are you gonna sit here and give uh, who I will say is the greatest quarterback of all time any love now? Hell no. Why? Because. Why? I mean, he's 43 years old. He threw five touchdown passes to five different receivers. He looked great. He stole three, four, maybe five Super Bowls. I, I No, you see, that's my issue with all this. Because all I see is people bashing the Astros for cheating. And, and look where the Astros are now. One game away from the ALCS. So at the end of the day, what has Brady accomplished in his career? All right, you want to point to the later Super Bowls when he had Gronk, Edelman, you know, probably the best defensive-minded head coach in football, Russell Wilson throwing an interception on an inexplicably stupid-ass call by Pete Carroll, or the fucking Falcons not deciding to run the football against when they had a 28-point fucking lead. Brady doesn't get any fucking respect from me because, you know what, I can't – I don't know what's real with him. Is it, you know, did the recordings and knowing the defensive plays help him in his career? I don't know. I think it had a hell of a lot to do with it. You know, he made his name off winning three Super Bowls in four years, all fraudulently, you know, so then he builds up, builds up. And then you have deflate gate against the Colts where he deflated footballs. The 2007 season, they were recording signals. Brady will not get a damn bit of respect for me. He'll never be in my top 10 ever in my fucking life. All right, I, I don't know how to even respond to that, but uh, the deflate gate thing is the biggest bunch of nonsense. I mean, it, it's on a cold New England day, those balls are going to get deflated regardless. I think that's a little bit of a crock. Uh, the, the recording of other teams' practices, that's more on Belichick to me. Did Brady benefit from that? Probably. Um, yeah, Probably. I I mean, you're telling me not – here's the thing that pisses me off about that. Knowing what the defenses is going to do before you even get up to the line of scrimmage, you don't have to do your checks. You just call the play. Boom. The receiver knows the hot route. Boom. Open guy. If you know the pitch, guess what? You still don't know the location. You still have to hit the ball. You know where the defenders are going to be. That is an incredible advantage for your wide receiver to find the zone or your tight end. That is the biggest bunch of crock that it benefited Belichick more than Brady. It 1000% benefited Brady more than anybody else. I think comparing the two situations is hard because, uh, you know, in football, you can know where they're going to be on defense, but if you're facing a team and I'll use the giants for an example in 2007, where they have the pass rushers that could beat your offensive line quick enough, it doesn't really matter that, you know, their defense, if you can just get beat man on man to man, then all you knowing all that stuff means nothing to me. I mean, tape is available for the most part for all teams to watch. I don't really know what they learned more from unless it's like specific game plans that were built towards them, which I understand that makes a difference. The Astros, when, when, it, when like I, hitting a baseball by far is the hardest thing in the, in the, in the world to do to me. And when, 
the ball is not moving and you know it's not going to move, you can adjust the location. And, and these, these guys are professional hitters. They can hit fastballs with their eyes closed. That's the biggest difference to me. They didn't – it's not game plan. They recorded the coaches with their signals going into the defense. They knew what signals equated to what defense. That is an unbelievable advantage. But you can watch tape and figure out defensive formations. I mean, are they, I mean, you can, you can figure out what defense they're running based on that. You can't figure out the disguises per se, but you still, I mean, how, how complicated could that be? Extremely, extremely the zone blitzing dog coverages. You can put linebackers in the gaps, drop them back. Grant, all that stuff, you know, who's blitzing at that point. You know where the blitz is coming from. You know what safety's dropping back. You know what the corners are doing. Are they playing the flats? Are they playing the deep thirds? Are they rolling into the middle? Are they playing man-to-man, bump and run? All that stuff comes from the defensive signals. Okay. Uh, but as far as this Thursday goes, I don't. there's no evidence to prove that Brady is doing that now in Tampa Bay and yet still uh, looks pretty, pretty damn good coming into your Bears game here. Uh, you know, the Bears are going to have to get to Brady to uh, mess with his rhythm here. Uh, the coming off, they, they still played well against the Colts. You know, what do you expect from them against the Bucks and Brady this week? I, I think they'll play fine. I don't, they're not giving up five touchdown passes. I can tell you that much. They'll probably make Brady look more human. Quinn and Matt coming off the edges will definitely provide a better resistance to what they did. Obviously, Ingram was out for the Chargers and Derwin James also didn't play. So they, beat up on a bad Chargers defense with a lot of injuries. So the Bears will definitely provide more resistance. Yeah, I don't know what the weather looks like in Chicago, but if it's a colder October night, uh, I could see that having a, being a factor as well. Uh, and usually Florida teams and playing in colder weather, uh, I don't trust that as much nearly. Um, all right, so Thursday night here, it's the Bucks traveling to Chicago to play the Bears, 3-1, and 3-1. and one. Matt, what's your official game prediction? I'm going to take the Bucks 24, the Bears 17. I, I kind of like that score, but uh, I'm going to go Bucks 21, Bears 10. Uh, I, I think the Bucks defense is going to have their way with Chicago's offensive line, so and that's how we're going to get there. All right, now, so to go back up in our rundown to the news and injury portion of the show here, huge news yesterday as the first coach and general manager was fired in one. And we're talking about our best friend in the world here, Matt, Bill O'Brien in Houston. Uh Texans chairman and CEO Cal McNair deciding to remove uh, Brian from the Texans altogether, both roles as GM and as the coach. And uh, since 2014, the Bill O'Brien has been leading the Texans in both aspects. It certainly feels like to me that Bill O'Brien, the GM got Bill O'Brien, the coach fired, which is kind of what we expected, uh, but largely uh, not that effective in either aspect. Yeah. I didn't hate Bill O'Brien, the coach. I, I thought that he was decent enough. My issue was always Bill O'Brien, the GM. It was just terrible move after terrible move. You can't trade away all your draft capital for an, a slightly above average left tackle. I get that left tackles are important, but Larry Tunsil ain't, isn't that guy you trade drafts for. He's just not. Trent Brown, maybe, maybe-ish, I don't know. But th- this was just one of the worst run organizations with trading DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of chips and a Coke. 
It's just all of these moves were just terrible by a bad GM that really screwed over himself as a coach. So Bill O'Brien got Bill O'Brien fired. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, you know, since 2014, you know, he was, he spent two years at Penn state after that whole um, debacle over there at Penn state. So he really did a good job of turning that program around. Well, did a decent job of turning that program around considering how down in the dumps they were after the Paterno stuff. Um, so he, he comes into the, to Houston in 2014, and they go 52 and 48 over seven years, uh, win four division titles, never made it to an AFC championship game, although last year they, they were close. They were up 24 nothing on the Chiefs, as we, we talked about, and then gave up seven straight touchdowns. You know, this – I think this, the fate to me, and I'm surprised – this is my criticism of the Texans in this move now um, – you you waited until week four when you're 0-4 and you knew how brutal your schedule was to start the season and you fire him now. What did O'Brien into me was that DeAndre Hopkins trade. I know that DeAndre Hopkins and Bill O'Brien did not get along very well, but to me, as soon as he traded DeAndre Hopkins for a second-round pick and David Johnson and tried to justify that as a move that he's going to make work, I would have been done with him right then and there. So I question the timing of this move, Matt, unless to me they go out and say, you know, we're going to hire our guy as soon as possible. But I find that difficult to do when you don't have a GM. So right now the interim head coach uh, is going to be Romeo Crennel. And I don't believe they have a GM right now, but to me, they need to get Eric B in the building and help Deshaun Watson become, you know, everything that we think he could be. And they need to do it as soon as possible. I, well, you're not going to do it. Who wants the job? You're a GM and you come into this situation. You don't have any first or second round picks this year. Your cap situation's not that great. You just locked up a quarterback that you might not love for four years and 160 million. I mean, I think we know that Deshaun Watson's good, but we also have to be realistic of what other people may think of him because he still holds onto the ball too long. He still takes a, a lot of shots. And he had two ACL reconstruction on his uh, knee. So you worry about all these things. Is Houston a landing spot that is attractive to people? And I don't think it's that attractive, you know, with the inability for stability. And you hope that somehow an aging defense is able to retool itself, but they don't have the draft picks for that. And you don't have free agency spending. You're looking at a rebuild with a franchise quarterback that's probably going to take you two to three years to rebuild that roster. And it's just, I, I don't know if you're going to get the guys you want. Eric Bianami, maybe. I think that's the guy that should be on a lot of people's wish list. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's going to be able to choose what spot he wants to go to. I, I think Houston's probably going to end up with a guy. I, I don't know. It's too early to tell, but it, it's not a job that I would be that attracted to. Well, I think, uh, you know, a lot of these times you don't have a lot of choices where you're going to end, end up. But I think the enemy would do a great job with Deshaun Watson. Um, but I just want to point out here, the Texans fired their general manager, Brian Gain. Uh, in January of 2019, and then named Bill O'Brien immediately the GM right after that. And I just want to point out the list of moves he's made since. Um, immediately, he traded number one overall pick in 2014, Jadavion Clowney, to the Seahawks for just two linebackers that weren't even good linebackers. Uh, they were just kind of scrub linebackers. Uh, and the same exact day, he traded two first-round picks to the Miami Dolphins for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills. And then that obviously led up to this offseason where he traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals for David Johnson in a second-round pick. 
the Texans are 0-4 in this mess of a salary cap situation with no first-round picks for the next two years. This is an atrocious setup for the Texans. And if the enemy is the guy, I feel for him because it's going to be a struggle for him for a couple years. But Deshaun Watson is good enough to make this an interesting team. And I just want to point out as much as crap we're going to give Bill O'Brien now, and we have been giving him crap. Uh, he is the only Texans coach in, the his, in their history with a winning record. They've only existed since 2002, which isn't saying much. But, but he also did this. This is the impressive thing to me. Uh, they went 500 or better with Brock Osweiler. They went 9-7. and seven. Case Keenum, you know, 2-0 and oh with Case Keenum. Brian Hoyer went 5-5. Five and five, And Ryan Fitzpatrick was 6-6. Six and six. So this is not a Bill O'Brien the coach problem. This is a Bill O'Brien the GM problem. And it happened very quickly for him. And I don't think he's done. I think he will end up with another job somewhere. But, um, God, I hope it's not the Giants because I have nightmares about that. But um, largely, Bill O'Brien did him own self in. And as Vince McMahon would say, or our friend Felipe Valicia would say, Bill screwed Bill. Yes, he did. Very much so. <laughs> All right. It is now time for, I wish we had an animation sound, our COVID update of the week. <laughs> and it is good news this week around the Tennessee Titans – for the second straight day do not have any positive cases and they are expected to move back into the facilities tomorrow, which they should still continue their season as expected as just a week four by this coming as they already had positive cases on Saturday, bringing their total up to, I believe 22, maybe 24. Um, Matt, it seems like the NFL got really lucky in this case and can adjust the schedule and move on from this as soon as possible. Yeah, I don't know how this didn't spread to the Vikings. I mean, that in itself is a miracle that I'm not sure how plausible that is because they played a game, saliva, you know, air. this is airborne, whatever. I'm not questioning it. NFL got extremely lucky here. You just move on and get ready to play the next week. Yeah, so they have the Bills on Sunday at 1 o'clock in it, and they're expecting that game to go on as normal. And like you said, I cannot believe that this did not spread to the Vikings because they knowingly uh, they knowingly played that game with cases on their team. So uh, the Titans are lucky that they are not getting punished harder for this and that it didn't affect the NFL in a greater aspect. But um, it seems like the NFL is out of the woods for now, despite Cam Newton's situation. Um, and he see it today he came out that he was asymptomatic so he should be okay in the coming days as well so that's good news as well so you know the nfl um regardless of how they've handled it to this point uh i feel like they've gotten lucky and they've also are fining the raiders some more because the raiders are the team that you see every week that just doesn't know how to wear a mask correctly or even doesn't even really try to wear a mask correctly which is classic john gruden so uh gruden's gonna be paying the nfl quite a bit for not following protocols and they've updated um the guidelines for free agency workouts. So teams can't just have these kind of people come in without getting tested now. And uh, I think the NFL is, is adjusting as they go, which is a good thing, but they really averted disaster in my opinion here. Yep. Agreed. All right. Some quick injury news. Now uh, two running backs, big time are going to be missing significant time. Nick Chubb of the Browns uh, is expected to miss six weeks because of an MCL sprain. Uh, he had a, a He's kind of like a weird hit against the Cowboys, but uh, his return is expected in November. As I mentioned in the game recap that they're lucky they have Kareem Hunt and now another and, and Johnson to fill in for him. Uh, might not be missed as much, but Nick Chubb, big name. Uh, I think the Browns will miss him a little bit at least. Yeah, th that was an injury that you don't want to see. Thank God it's an MCL sprain. 
But man, those turn into ACLs rather quickly too. So just be thankful for that. Having Cream Hunt helps a lot. Yeah, they are lucky because uh, they were fearing a potential ACL situation. So the fact that it's just an MCL sprain, good for now, but there could be lingering issues in the future. Uh, Austin Eckler had the, one of the scarier injuries of the week, at least, at least like just watching it. Um, he hyperextended his knee and he had a pulled hamstring. I don't know if we know the details exactly. I think we're waiting for MRI results, but he is expected to miss several weeks with both of these problems. But it, you look at the, it looked like a similar Saquon Barkley situation where his leg went one well, his foot went one way, his leg went the other way. It looked very ugly for Eckler who had to get carted off the field and was saw after the game with crutches and a brace. So um, what do you make of this Eckler issue? I don't know how many more injuries this Chargers team deserves to have. I mean, Jesus, everyone on that team's getting a knee injury, it feels like. Uh, it hurts. It hurts Justin Herbert. It hurts this team's chances. And I, I mean, if they can finish around six wins, I think Anthony Lynn did a tremendous job. So I just think them getting to six, seven wins would be a really good statement for this team with all the injuries they've had to face. Uh, all right, so O.J. Howard finally finds the end zone this se- uh, season with the Bucks, and then uh, a quarter later is placed on injured reserve with a torn Achilles. Uh, he has not been the guy that they thought they were getting uh, when they picked him in the first round in 2017. Uh, Achilles injuries are not the easiest to come back from. It's tough to imagine O.J. Howard's going to be the same guy, even though he wasn't even that effective to begin with. Yeah, I always liked O.J. Howard. I kind of thought he was a weird fit in that offense to begin with, and it always felt to me like they preferred Cameron Bright over him anyway. So I do like Cameron Bright a lot. So they're deep at the tight end position with him and Gronk. I, I think they'll make it work. Um, but it sucks for O.J. Howard because I think uh, if you asked NFL players, what would you rather have? I think they'd rather have that torn ACL than that torn Achilles because just the explosion, it takes so long to come back from an Achilles to get that explosion back and really that drive. So – I think that's a devastating injury for a player that really hasn't lived up to that first round status. Yeah. Um, you know, that bit's a guy the giants wanted really bad and ended up having to take Evan Ingram, but uh, neither of those guys really panned out uh, by either of those team standards. Uh, all right, moving on. Miles Jack, um, one of the more notable players on the, the Jaguars defense has had several injuries in his career, even going back to college. He had a, uh, he got banged up pretty bad in the Bengals game. He has a severe ankle problem, which I don't know if they disclosed exactly what it is yet, but it appears he's going to miss a couple weeks. Uh, the Shags defense, not that talented to begin with. I think this is going to be a big loss. Him and CJ Henderson might miss a couple weeks. So an already depleted Jags defense is about to get worse. Yeah, I I don't think I, – I just don't know what the Jags do at this point. I think – you have to try to lose as many games as possible. I think Doug Marone's gone anyway. So you may be looking at a regime change there and a new quarterback. I don't think Minshew is one of those weird quarterbacks that put up numbers, but I just don't feel like he's that next level quarterback from the middle of the road guys to being not very good. But yeah, Miles Jack is a leader on this team and you know, it's just another injury for a team that's not going anywhere, unfortunately. 
Yeah, Miles Jack, I mean, I, I always think of his bad injury in college that really stopped him from being a higher pick in the draft. Um, you know, really talented linebacker who probably would be one of the elite players in the league if he could just get his health right. So uh, you hate to see that. Hopefully he can come back and finish the season. And finally now, uh, the Niners, because they were so banged up with uh, Nick Bosa being out for the season and um, – uh, Solomon Thomas and, you know, trading away players that they were needed. And they signed Ziggy Ansah to try to make up for that lack of uh, defensive line presence. He's going to miss the remainder of the season with a torn bicep, which is a brutal injury. I don't even know how well he had played to this point, but I mean, they were relying on him big time, Matt. Yeah, that one, it just goes to show you, you know, you want to, in this season, you lose a couple of guys, and it really affects your defense. So it's a struggle for them, and I don't know if this is something that is going to help them defensively. Uh, this team might finish third, but you know, I, I, th- I think the Rams are good. I think the Seahawks are going to win this division. So I don't know. Still got talent on that defense. Um, Niners should be okay on that side of the ball, but they have other issues for sure. Um, all right, Matt, before we say goodbye here, uh, do you have a fantasy football update for us? Well, your guy right here is two and two fighting back from a slew of injuries. We only have one undefeated team in our 12 man league, Kevin Koo, who is four and oh, and in a division full of two and two teams. Um, our guy, our, one of our bear fans, Chris Frederick, he absolutely demolished our undefeated EJ our Cowboys fan, I believe it was 175 points he put up, which by far is the highest point total we've had this season. So congratulations to Chris for a really strong week. And Felipe Melicio's creeping up. He's creeping, 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 creeping. He is two and two now, and he's Magic Marcus three and two. He might get there. All right, and in the 10-team Audible Fantasy League, I squeak out a win over Aiden Schrader in the slimmest of margins uh, to improve to 2-2. Two and two. I won 131.2 to 129.68, so barely, barely won. Thank you, Aaron Jones, for securing that win for me last night. Uh, our friend Ricky uh, was the highest scorer of the week. He scored 149 and just dominated his opponent. He had thir- He's 3-1 and one now. Uh, Matt, you won your matchup this week. Also dropped 145 on uh, Blazing Brett. Uh, you be- you ha- beat him handily to improve to 500. Our friend Jacob falls to 1-3. and three. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately for him, he lost to Danny Dimes. Uh, and then our friend Mac Attack uh, beat my buddy Anthony uh, made him fall to, to 500. So, uh, look, things are kind of interesting in this league here. Uh, some interesting – I mean, a lot of teams are pretty good, but obviously uh, we're all looking up to Mac Attack, who's 4-0. So, anyway, uh, quick waiver wire uh, segment here, Matt. I want to get a name from you that you're trying to get this week before your uh, waivers hit tomorrow morning. Tim Patrick. I'm hoping I get Tim Patrick. I, I need a wide receiver. I think he's developed some goodwill there in Denver. So hopefully um, Tim Patrick falls in my lap. All right. Uh, I'll give you a wide receiver and a running back because those are typically the positions I look out for um, with um, Austin Eckler going down. I'm super interested in Josh Kelly. And if Josh Kelly's already picked up, I'm looking at Justin Jackson because he's going to miss a significant amount of time. And then uh, for wide receivers, Joe Burrow's favorite target over the last two weeks has been rookie T Higgins, who every time he catches the ball, he looks like Chad Ochocinco by wearing number 85. So uh, T Higgins, um, 
should be a guy who's on your radar as well. Okay. So um, we're going to be saying goodbye now here, Matt. Uh, tell us about some of our wonderful shows underneath the Life Group podcast umbrella. Absolutely. We got our Ball is Life Step Back podcast tomorrow, NBA Finals, um, game four tonight. So I'm sure they'll have a lot to say regarding that tomorrow. Um, pod jobbers are taking a, a hiatus, so our Thursday slot is now vacated. Friday, you guys are back. Midday show, give you a review of the Bears and Bucks. Hopefully the Bears win, and I'm in a really good mood. And then we also have Sunday Total Bases podcast. And then we follow it up with Dong City on Monday, only to see the award-winning Audible on Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, Donk City, uh, it's big time MLB playoff time. So that's our flagship show with Vince and Henry. Those guys obviously do a great job all, always with Rob running the show from behind the scenes. So if you haven't watched last night's show, be sure to check that out. Uh, Yankees are back on now. So it's time for us to say goodbye here. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us on Facebook Live. Uh, we love interacting with you in the comments section, whether you support us there or on YouTube or any of our audio platforms. And we're talking Apple, uh, Spotify, and Anchor. We greatly appreciate all the support, regardless of how or when or where you're listening. So uh, thank you guys so much. I'm Randy Hammond, your host, along with Matt Bushnell saying so long. We'll talk to you on Friday.